We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Clippers kicked our butts once again, shot 61% from the field, 50% from three, made a little run in the second half, cut it down to 10, and then a little uh, 8-0 run in 45 seconds, put the game away, and that was that. We also got some news that perhaps Anthony Davis will be back as soon as tonight. So a night of mixed emotions. We had the Rui Hachimura introductory press conference. And if there was a, I think if there was a Mike Trudell displeasure scale, the Los Angeles Clippers hitting BS jump shots over and over again would be somewhere on there. And so Mike, a lot of things going on yesterday, but the Clippers hitting jumpers <laughs> over us is uh, one of those things that no matter what, uh, doesn't seem to change. So what'd you see last night, man? Yeah, I'm not taking a whole lot out of the game, uh, honestly. The Darwin said after the game that the analytics folks came in and gave them, I can't remember what they call their metric. It's like a QTC, something that something that dictates shot quality. And mm. they felt like they held the Clippers to uh, relatively poor shot quality, like kind of what they wanted to, and they just hit a ton of them. And so you give them credit. They always seem to do that against the Lakers. That's That's been part of the pattern. Um, I, I don't think it's super sustainable for them to to make a huge playoff run with that with that type of shooting and that type of uh, expectation but they were better last night um so you know great like i i was more interested in what darius thought about michael thompson literally microwaving fish which is which i put on my instagram um if you want to see the video and if you remember the darius displeasure scale microwaving fish is number two it's one of the things that he Mm. hates more than anything else in the world. The only thing that is higher is flight delayed, have to watch Laker playoff loss on phone. That's it. So I was just in shock and in awe uh, with Michael's move. And am I distracting some from that game last night? Yes. Uh, would I rather talk about <laughs> Anthony Davis returning against the Spurs, which seems very likely, uh, and Rui Hachimura and the three of us talking about that together? Yes. But the displeasure of Michael Thompson's fish situation was top of mind for me. Mike, so I need a bit of clarification first from our boy MT, right? The other MT. 
not the one who's on this podcast here. Was the fish wrapped? I can speak for him. So was the fish within another vessel of some sort, right? And and so like, was it wrapped in like an empanada or some sort of taquito or it was just fish? It was just three like fish strips. And he put in one of those, those kind of recyclable white containers right yeah yeah, yeah. You, i saw the containers i saw that yeah that i yeah, saw that's the just, tape just three, as well just three things of fish in that and then a piece of tape over it that's it our boy michael thompson man it's from the bahamas he is one amazing guy maybe the rules are different in the bahamas mike like and so what i will say is at least he's doing it at his own home and so if he came over to my house and was saying, hey, I brought over these containers from the Laker game. We're going to eat this food right now, but we need to microwave it. I would have said, I love you, Michael Thompson. You have brought me years and years of joy, starting with Mm -hmm. the time that you shut down your old college compatriot, Kevin McHale, Mm -hmm. in the playoffs. And and so you've been my guy for a long time, but we're going to need to go up the street. We're going to need to go up the street. For you to use a microwave, you're not going to use the one here in my house. But if we were at your house, I'm just going to have to suck it up and just take it because that's your house. Your house, your rules, my displeasure scale is a local event. It doesn't transfer to to other people's homes. So I'm going to have to talk to Michael maybe and and say like what's the aftercare situation here like like how are you cleaning this up and what are you doing with with the smells because microwave fish it tends to linger it's one of the reasons why it's on the displeasure scale and speaking of that lingering the lingering feeling pete that i have of watching the clippers make jump shot (laughs) after jump shot is very similar to the to that lingering smell of microwave fish i was not happy last night my wife mm-hmm. came into the room at one point and she did not have to ask how it was going. She saw the look on my face and she said something innocuous and it was not game related at all. And I think I just responded with some form of these MFers won't stop missing three pointers. Like it was a guttural response to something that was not related. Related to at what all. she said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and so. I was quite displeased with the level of shot making that the Clippers displayed. To Mike's point, I thought like at some point I was just like, oh, well, they're making 65 percent and their three is like what, like whatever. And at one point they were making a higher percentage of their three pointers than their two pointers. Now, by the end of the game, that was no longer the case. The Clippers ended up shooting 19 for 38 from three. And I think they shot 60 percent from from the field and so as much as the three-pointers bug me what also bugged me was like Kawhi Leonard walking into jump shots over dudes who were five inches shorter than him and then Paul mm-hmm. George hitting like contested fadeaway jumpers from the baseline against pretty good defense and it's just like okay well it's just their night which is even more frustrating because the Lakers have not had one of like, oh, it's our night. Like they've stolen some wins, but not sure. with like, oh, well, everything is just falling, Mike. Yeah, and Pete, just to throw this back to you, my my only actual kind of, you know, working as a reporter at the game thought was once the Lakers started to play better and, and the Clippers shooting you know, slowed down and they made it a game at least, or at least I don't want to say a full game because Clippers clearly in control, but when they start, when things started to even out, um, then the Lakers 
just completely gave away several possessions. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, Russ really had a rough, a rough night in that context. Mm-hmm. And, and like that, that you have to play perfect basketball basically when you get down by that amount, which the Lakers did in Portland. And that's the frustrating part that like we've seen that before and it happened again. And that was like the final nail in the coffin of that specific game, even if it doesn't have a larger meeting uh, other than, you know, we can talk about that as, as things move forward. For sure. For sure. And I feel like, you know, you can get into habits as a team where if you are, if you've made some comebacks, you can be like, oh, we're fine. We're down 18. We can come back. Let's turn it on in the third quarter. And they did. And, you know, they improved. But like you said, you got to play perfect if you put yourself in that situation. And the Clippers defensively, especially, are not a Portland team, right? Where you're just like, oh, Damian Lillard, we're just going to pick on you and get into the paint. LeBron was unbelievable last night, had his three ball going, um, but he didn't really have a partner. Do you pointed that out last night? I thought that was a good observation. You know, nobody really joined the party in that respect. Um, but with respect to the Clippers shooting, one thing I don't want to just sweep it under the rug is, ah, it was their night entirely, right? It certainly was, but I think there's a common thread in that there are three games that stand out to me, guys, in terms of the opponent being like, God, those guys can't miss. And it was the third quarter against Dallas, where we gave up 51 points. The second quarter against Portland the other night, where we lost that by, I think, 45 to 13. And then last night against the Clippers. And the common thread that I see throughout all of them is those are all jump shooting teams, right? Portland, they've got Simons and Lillard, and they've got just guys that can hit open threes. And that that's what they do. Right. And then with Dallas, same type of thing. You got the great shot creator and then he's surrounded by shooters. And then uh, last night with uh, the Clippers, they are that's who they are. Jump shooting over the top type of team in a lot of ways. And we've talked a lot about how our defense surrenders that kind of as a natural function of our base defense. So when they were coming back from the third quarter break, Stephanie Reddy was interviewing Darvin Ham and asking, you know, how do you get back into this? And he was like, yeah, we switched up some coverages in the third quarter, which was a good third quarter for us. Um, and kind of took some of that away. The Clippers countered that by starting to attack the basket a little more. And we don't really have like, we're so, if tonight's the night that AD comes back, we don't really have the guy to be able to stop that, if, especially if it's a big Kawhi Leonard or Norm Powell. They just got a lot of guys that attack. We just don't have the dudes to really counter that. But I do think that that's part of the story of this team, D, is our base coverage defensively will give up some nights to teams where, where that's what they do, our jump shooting, and we're creating conditions for decently open jump shots. We're going to give up some some games and some quarters like that. We are. I also think it's important to note that every single game that you mentioned has happened when Anthony Davis has not played at all, right? Yes. And so AD, and it's funny because LeBron does this too. And so one of the games within the game that I was thinking a lot about last night was LeBron being just amazing offensively while basically handing off defensive duties against either Mm -hmm. Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, which would be more natural matchups for like a prime LeBron or a super engaged LeBron. And he was passing those defensive responsibilities off to the Troy Browns and Patrick Beverly's and Dennis Schroeder's of the team. And, and then that was backed up mostly by Thomas Bryant and a bit of an overeager Wenyan Gabriel who was fouling Mm -hmm. a lot. And the last several games, like just as a sidebar, LeBron and AD have like, really been on Wenyon yep. about his fouling. And and I think that it's 
it's gone from a little bit constructive, like, hey, we need you to do this, like do this, like to like, what have I told you before? Mm-hmm. Sort There's of a frustration stuff. there. And, yeah. Right. And, and so frustration is starting to boil a little bit. And so I, I honestly think like AD can't be coming back at a better time. If it's this game, it's great. If it's within the next couple of games, even better, because for all the slotting stuff we talk about offensively and offensive role, there's a defensive slotting that is super important as well. And this is where that idea of the point I was going, going to make is that when LeBron engages you defensively, he offensive players react differently. And when it's AD that is hovering around the basket or in the paint somewhere, offensive players react differently. And so Guys are seeing Thomas Bryant and they see a green light. Yeah, they go right at him. They're just like, oh, that's like the red carpet is rolled out for them. Like they don't fear his rim protection, even if he will get a couple of blocks. And they basically feel like, well, you he's not going to be in the right position to contest or challenge my shot often enough. And that was one of my frustrations with watching Kawhi. It was not that Kawhi was getting to the basket. He wasn't. He was getting to spots on the floor where where what you really needed was the big to sort of step up and show something else, give him a feint or a jab or actually envelop him a little Mm -hmm. bit to make him think about there's more defensive attention coming. And so that idea of, oh, well, jump shooting teams have been beating the Lakers. Well, a lot of that happens off of pick and roll actions. And a lot of that happens with, okay, well, how do we play out of that? And the Lakers, just like the Bucks and just like a bunch of other teams that play in drop coverages, they play the coverage the way that they do because they want to turn the pick and roll into a two-on-two action. They do not want it to be a a three-on-two action, right? And so, but when, when you don't have that secondary defender that makes it like, oh, we can play this two on two, then you're playing from a deficit very early within the possession key. That's the thing I just wanted to add real quick is that when you play that way, you need that center, that guy who's defending the pick and roll to be really good. And it, it's funny, I, I like the more I watch TB play in it and he's you know, given everything that he can. And I do think that there are lineups and things that like where we can keep him on the floor. But when you think about what he's asked to do, it's sort of a lean forward and jab at the guard, but not too far. And then a quick twitch back and then a backpedal and jump. And it's like, TB is 0 for 3 in the attributes necessary to do those <laughs> yes. things. and But to keep the whole like structure in place of like how everybody else defends and just how we defend in general, you kind of still have to ask him to do that if you're going to run your base coverage. And so, yeah, having Anthony Davis back will be – I'm so relieved we've done as well as we have just because our offense has been great, but we really need to get our defensive house in order. Well, let's, let's talk about what that looks like though, right? So AD comes back and he starts at the five presumably right mm-hmm, probably so then that'd be my guess so then tb is your backup five is Wenyan your kind of depending on matchup put him in or do you try to play bigger and mm-hmm. can you play Wenyan and, and do that go back to that sort of that rust group but wait oh hold on rui hachimura is now there yep. and he's to me so more likely Wenyan to me is the guy that gets is the, that loses out on some of those minutes because how you can't play Rui and Wenyan and Thomas Bryan all together, 
So Rui is going to be is going to play no matter what. And then, you know, maybe you you if it, another team is really small or if it's a particularly better matchup for Wenyan, then maybe he even plays some of those minutes over Thomas Bryant. But yeah. Right. So how do you how do you no, see that? Great question. Working? Yeah. So I think that one of Thomas Bryant or Rui Hachimura in the long term is going to end up being a starter for this team. I don't think both are going to be on the bench in the foreseeable future. And so if Rui plays tonight and he doesn't start and Anthony Davis returns, I would bet the Lakers start Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly. (laughs) Um, I wish this was on video. (laughs) LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Thomas Bryant. And that and I would guess they will continue to play that until they get a better feel of what Rui is going to be and how he can play. Like, look, Darwin understands, I think, the value that Wenyan brings to the team. I think mm-hmm. that he was asked previously about the prospect of playing bigger front courts, basically, with, with him TV and AD. And, mm-hmm. AD. and he said, we'll definitely give that a look or some iteration of that. LeBron has basically said, I'm having dreams of what a front court of me and AD and TB can look like. And I think both LeBron and AD are naturally, I think LeBron is naturally a four in terms of like what he does best defensively. Right. And AD is naturally a five. But both have always considered themselves a position down from that. LeBron has almost mm-hmm. always considered himself a three, and AD has almost always considered himself a four. And so they embrace the value that another super large human being playing next to them enables them to do. And they appreciate that. And I think those lineups start to work a little bit better if it's not Russell Westbrook, who's the point guard. Like, right. there's yeah, a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's stuff. the total game changer with the two big lineups, 100%. Yeah, there's, there, there's just a lot of ingredients that fall into place here, at least at the beginning. And so long term, could I see that switching where Rui is the guy, especially if he shows that he could, like, defend and rebound, which is an open question with Rui. I listened to the pod that you guys did yesterday, and I've listened to a bunch of, like, national pods where there's been more a wizard tilt to this and read stuff mm. about Rui. And I think the some of the big questions about Rui have to do with like how much of a ball mover is he? How like mm-hmm. like what's his feel as as a passer and what's his engagement level defensively. And the flip side of that is is like those comments that you made, Pete, about like Russ sort of bringing out some of the physicality and that mental approach out of Rui the way that you would want, considering what his physical tools are. And so there's going to be a bridge to cross here, and we'll see how far across the Lakers get with Rui and where Rui is. And so let's go to break here because the Lakers do play the Spurs, and this is to me a bit of a soft runway for them to try to figure out some things before they go on to the road. And I want to talk about that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, it wasn't just the idea that Rui could play tonight and it feels like he will. Or that AD might play tonight, and based off of the TNT reporting that came out out of the game, that's a strong possibility. But Austin is making progress. There was a report that came out from Yoman Buha from The Athletic, and this was on the broadcast as well, that he's running and that he did some sprinting and that he's making prog progress as well. And so we talked about the Cavalry coming back the other day. This Spurs game tonight, it is against one of the worst teams in the conference. The Lakers have beat them three times already this season. And they are an interesting team, I think, to sort of ramp up again. And so what do you how do you put all of those pieces together coming at this from the coaching staff perspective? And what are you looking at in terms of like a potential AD return, a potential Rui return, the Spurs as an opponent and all of that together? You're getting almost such a, a totally different team all of a sudden and trying to figure out if you can maintain the same identity that you have used mm-hmm. to win games since AD went out. It's not just because of AD, but it's because you have a couple of guys, skill guards with lo- the skills that Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves have, mm-hmm. you know, relative to Beverly and Schroeder, um, who and, and I would separate Dennis a little bit because Dennis does have some skills and, and he to me would be one of the constants. But like, do you need what Beverly is going to give you in that starting lineup to the same degree once you get AD size back. Um, and same thing with Hachimura. And, you know, once you get the, the capability then of putting a little more skill around them, either in Austin or Lonnie, as opposed to Pat, who has at least been shooting a three ball better, um, not against the Clippers, certainly. And I'd say the same thing about the backcourt. Do you want, you know, Russ's usage is going to have to go way down from what it has been next to LeBron. And then, if it if that's the case, how do you how do you sort of line that up to still get something out of him, but relying much less, especially in the situations where he has not been as good in a lot of those are later quarter or certainly late game situations. And some of the playing time for like Juan Toscano Anderson probably goes down. I I would still want to find a way to get Max Christie minutes and sure. I think that he's been good when he plays and I still love the idea of developing him further but you know even that it, it becomes a choice instead of between Max Christie and nobody like Max Christie and Austin or Lonnie Walker um, or Shooter and th- those become more difficult choices so it's just like they're for the coaching staff it's good that you're getting some of these bodies back in in of course, AD, like don't even put that in the conversation, but it also complicates things some. And there's going to be some players that have been playing really big roles and really big minutes with more success than most expected uh, in this stretch mm-hmm. since December 16th when AD went down. And I think that's going to take them some time. And we're probably going to be having a lot of discussions about that for the next week or two. 
um, as as we also try to figure out what we think is the optimal way to proceed here. Yeah, there's uh, this is a super important evaluation period between now and the trade deadline. Now that we know more of the type of team that we are, um, but it is a very different one. And I think you make a really good point on that front, Mike. With both Lonnie and Austin out, I'd also add Kendrick Nunn to that too. With the respect of he was like our third string skill guard, like scoring two guard type of thing behind Austin and Lonnie. And so even without him too, just the types of like Max is a different style of guard than Austin and Lonnie and none. He's more of that three and D type type of guy um, that's less of an on ball player. And so it's getting, uh, you know, having TB, getting AD back and then have, throwing Rui into the picture. We're all of a sudden it's flipped. We're actually a very big team right now in terms of the guys that we have that are available to play. So I'm curious where Austin and Lonnie slot back into that. Mike, do we have any updates on kind of what's going on with them? This seems like a week where maybe, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sources close to me would say that Austin nice. was targeting was targeting more of kind of the road trip. Um, but, you know, he still has to go past a couple of hurdles and that whole thing. Right. So not guaranteed. But that was that was always around the timeline, like that three weeks, like really give the hamstring a chance to to heal and not come back and just pull it again, which we've seen over and over and over again in sports. Mm-hmm. Walker was supposed to be on about a, a few days ahead of that, maybe like five, six days ahead of that. And then they they added a week to it um, last time. So he was originally like reevaluated uh, early this week. And then they said they kind of bumped that to Friday. So after this, basically after this Spurs game, got the, they'll both get a full evaluation. And could they both return as soon as like the early on the trip? I think that is a possibility. But since Walker already got pushed back a little bit in the in the reevaluation, you know, that one to me, you still have to sort of wait and see. Like, has it improved since last week? But Austin to me seems like he's all in line with being able to return uh, on that original timeline. It's just that they said reevaluation in two weeks and then added sort of the week to ramp up. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to just when people see reevaluation, they're like, oh, he'll be back in two weeks. So usually that means right. in modern NBA parlance, it means like another week after that. The Spurs game to me then is sort of an in-between game, right? Looks like no Austin, no Lonnie. That's fine. The Lakers can continue to play Troy Brown and Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder is the main guards. Max will continue to get some some minutes. I actually yeah. thought it was interesting not having Rui in the lineup yet, but also not having none. I thought actually yeah. sort of hurt the team Very much. in the Clippers game where it's just like, oh, you needed one more dude who could just sort of like score and do. Well, especially something. when Russ was banging his head against the wall, like having an alternative that we there wasn't much on that front. So. The Spurs game, I'm very interested to see sort of how, like, how much Rui plays, what role that he plays. I don't think he can or should start when he literally just got to Los Angeles yesterday. Um, and Pete, do you agree with what I'm saying? Like, let's let's say if AD plays, do you think TB starts? That's a great question in terms of like, will or should i actually think that the starting lineup tonight is going to tell us so much about kind of where their heads are at going forward and what type of team they want to be for exactly that decision i like if tb starts that whole guys go right at him is still going to be a thing and it's like it's the most important defensive position exactly because of that where then the optimist you know version of me says 
well, we have Anthony Davis, who's this kind of deployable, wherever we need help, we can deploy this guy. But I think if you start TB, then you kind of like, you kind of calcify that into that. That's going to be the place that you need to deploy AD, uh, you know, a, a lot more often than you would with a center who had rim protection or, you know, better rim protection, Mike. So I'm curious to see what direction we go on that front. Yeah, I just want to stay on this for a second because and think about why you would start TV, right? And like, what are you actually skill set wise? Mm-hmm. What are we looking for? Mm-hmm. Or what would the coaching staff be looking for? And Darius, the LeBron comment that you cited, what was the, uh, what was the specific game where TB went off, right? And then it was, I know. I think it was over the Kings in the Kings win where. The, that's right. It, after, yeah, in Sacramento. Right. During the, Sacramento during the winning when they streak. won like 140 yeah. to 138 or whatever it was. Like it was <laughs> yeah. It was close to that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was yeah, something it was. like that. It was. Yes. So, and he was, and he was tremendous. And, you know, the way, so when you get asked a question like that after a guy has been awesome, right? I think there's one way, there's sort of one way to frame it, but. I think that it just ignores a little bit of what the fit would be and sort of why you would have it out there. And so the the first framing of that is so winding back a few years ago, you'd think if you're going to have Anthony Davis out there in this context, then the center at least has to shoot threes. And we saw that work with Marcus all, mm-hmm. but Marcus all is also a much different and much better defensive player than Brian. Mm-hmm. And so if that means that one of the matchups as Pete just sort of referred to teams are going to be able to go at, and if they're if they're able to either pull TB out to the perimeter or it just I don't know that you're getting enough like in terms of rebounding to make up for uh, for sort of perimeter defensive versatility that could come in the form of either, a, you know, Hachimura, if he works out great or even like mm-hmm. a, a in this case, like LeBron at the four, Troy Brown um, at the three and that sort of structure. So I'm just curious for you guys what your opinion is of what you would want from Bryant in that look and why you would do that as opposed to stick with what the Lakers essentially started the season with as a plan. For me, it's about tripling down on the idea of bigger, stronger, faster, and what the team is actually good at now. So we started this conversation sort of lamenting the Clippers and their ability to shoot threes. And we've talked on and offline about how sustainable that is or isn't and how frustrating it can be to see a team continuously just hit shots over the top. But what the Lakers try to do, Pete, is they try to pummel you inside in the paint. You mentioned this in the Grizzlies game where it's sort of just like, hey, well, this team, what they do best is they protect the paint. And the Lakers are just like, yeah, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to keep coming. And that idea of TB, and so I'm just talking skill sets here. So one of the things that the Lakers are really going to want to do, I think, is wear down other opponents' big guys because their big guys are the – are the pressure point that if you break their big men, you no longer have a defense against what the Lakers are good at. And so to me, one of the reasons why you play Thomas Bryant is because instead of playing, having to play 30 or 35 minutes, he's going to play 18 to 25 minutes. And in those 20, let's say it's top end of that 25 minutes in those 25 minutes, he's just going to run and run and run and run and run. And he's going to sprint. And if you put a smaller player on on him, he's going to try to bury that dude in the post with well with rim runs. He's going to attack the offensive glass and he's just going to play his style, his style, his style. And 
on top of that, he is comfortable running the baselines. He can play in the dunker spot, but not as a dunker. And so he shoots these little 12-foot jumpers, these sort of old-school Udonis Haslam, like Rick Smith's like, oh, look at him. He's shooting 16-footers from like weird spots on the floor. He can be a high-low player. And so there's all kinds of advantages I think the Lakers can try to exploit by playing bigger offensively. And then defensively, I think the Lakers have been a bad rebounding team. And if LeBron isn't basically thinking to himself, I'm going to get 10 rebounds tonight, the Lakers are going to really struggle on the glass, I think, even if it is LeBron at the four and then Troy Brown at the three, and then you're playing two, six, one guards, right? And so for me, it's more like, all right, you've got AD and LeBron as sort of these these supplementary big defenders who are comfortable playing in the paint and protecting the rim in their own ways. And while TB offers an entryway, Pete, that red carpet that I mentioned, well, Mm -hmm. if there's the red carpet, well, LeBron and AD are the bouncers at the front door of the club. And they're just like, oh, yeah, I'm here to protect my red carpet a little bit, right? And and so that's sort of how I see and what I think you'd be trying to get out of a bigger lineup with TB. Am I off base? No, I think that's a very strong argument. And also like TB has shown during this stretch that he's not somebody that you can't stop Thomas Bryant, but if you don't account for him, if you don't put a body on him, if you don't like, if if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, then he's going to give you 25 or 30 points. Like he's going to score very efficiently around the rim. And so I think that there's a certain amount of like you just run out of guys defensively. This is a whole idea we've talked about for a minute where it's like there's just too much too much big athlete to deal with collectively on the Lakers that I think is difficult for a lot of teams that are built to be that more skill jump shooting team. To me, that is the antidote to these kind of smaller skill teams, Mike. That said, mm-hmm. I am more inclined to agree with that position of having perimeter defensive ability. And so I could see sort of a setup where like TB starts kind of like the 2020 team, right? You start with two bigs and then it's Rui is more of the closing guy. Rui fills fills that Kuzma type of role. And I think rotationally it's a lot more similar that way. And so D that's kind of where I come from is that I think you can start that way. You have to adjust for it, but I do, I value that perimeter defensive ability a little bit more. Mike, to kick it to you, instead of 2020, think more 2009, 2010, and TB is more the Andrew Bynum of this mix, and AD is Bynum was such a good rim protector, though. No, but I'm saying, though, from the prospect of this dude starts the game, but Bynum never, he never closed. Yeah. He never closed. It was always, they always went with LO there. Right. And and so that's how I would envision more of the dynamic, not necessarily the so, skill sets, Pete. I'm not comparing Thomas Bryant to Andrew Bynum, gotcha. although offensively. Oh, yeah. Close. No, it's fun. Right? Yeah. Anyways. Well, I'm kind of back to the point of if Thomas Bryant is playing next to AD, then where is he on the floor and where is AD? And when teams pack the paint, but you're essentially switching out one perimeter guy for another big how do you still get downhill in the same way? And how do you encourage Anthony Davis to play like that? Especially as he's, we'll see how he is with his foot. And, you know, mm-hmm. is he going to be attacking or is he going to be taking some jump shots, you know, or mm-hmm. at least a, a, some additional amount? And so my, I guess my 
my worry about that that duo would be you know either Bryant would be out there on the perimeter taking threes and teams would be like go ahead you know we're fine if you hit one or two but you're not going to hurt us much from out there and you're not going to be on the offensive glass and then we're going to take advantage of you on defense and you know we don't know the level that AD is going to be able to attack anyway but so that's one of the questions the other one is just who is it that if Thomas Bryant is starting there you know whose minutes and whose starting role is is going away and is that is that Beverly because I, I don't think it's going to be Schroeder and mm-hmm. or is it Troy Brown who I'd prefer to still stay in the starting lineup and what Darvin has shown throughout the season is that like Beverly starts that's what that's what's been happening and Brown starts when somebody else isn't available to start essentially but would that how does that factor in if you're so you're basically going shooter Beverly LeBron Thomas Bryant and AD that's that's the group right that you're referring to I'm kind of fine with that. Like, where are you with that? I, I, I definitely prefer what Mike said with uh, Troy Brown with at the two. Yeah, with Brown starting. But, mm-hmm. but where are you at? So, first of all, that's a really big lineup, right? You got Dennis, who's a slightly below average size point guard, but everybody else: Troy Brown, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Thomas Bryant. Those are big dudes for their position. So, we've gone from this team that's very small to a team that's very big under this proposal. I think Mike's uh, point about not wanting to facilitate the AD that kind of drifts on the perimeter and takes jumpers, but still attacks is a really good one. The three-point shooting of TB is is helpful, and he will help space the floor. But one thing that I think helps spacing even more is he really understands his relocations and where to be, and he does it with verb and energy, like he's going to get there quickly. And so on this team that has so much of that 90s style, that 20 feet and in type of attacking style, I have visions of a lot of high-low action with LeBron and, or I'm sorry, with AD and TB. They can vary because TB can knock down that that uh, free throw line jumper and AD can be in the dunker spot or vice versa. AD had passed really well before he got hurt. This is one has been his best passing season as a Laker. And so on the offensive end, Mike, I, I still think we need to keep that AD going downhill and him as the primary role man. But I think TB can fill other spots around that D that can really accentuate that. So I'm actually really excited about the prospect on offense. But I do agree with Mike that we don't want to facilitate the AD taking a bunch of 16 foot jumpers version of himself yeah one of the things that i'd be interested in too is seeing how the lakers pick and roll game would work with two bigs on the court who are both comfortable screening and then you move lebron out of one of the screening roles which he's been in a lot to one of the ball handling roles right and so one of the things that we've seen a fair amount of and this looks and imagine the lineups where it's Dennis and Russ and then it's LeBron and one of the bigs. Right. And so, and we see some of those groups where it's like LeBron Wenyon and then Russ and Dennis, and then whoever the fifth guy is, it can be Brown. It can be JTA. It can be Max, it can be Max Christie. Yep. Right. Now those sorts of setups happen. And LeBron is this, hybrid player where he goes from being a ball handler in some of the previous groups, right. To Mm -hmm. being a screener. Right. So now swap LeBron in that with Anthony Davis and swap Russ in that with LeBron. Right. And so where now LeBron is that second ball handler next to Dennis TB is the screener is one screener and AD is the other screener. And 
the spacing is trickier because all of these dudes are bigger and no one and everyone wants to pack the paint against the Lakers regardless. But the intricacies of how you manage that screen role, particularly when it's LeBron, who is the passer, who can hit both the role man or secondary skip, or if it's pick and pop with LeBron trying to go downhill, then it's just like when the other big steps up, it's the dunker spot guy who is available. And so it's actually a trickier dynamic that I'm interested in just seeing what it would look like with those reimagined roles and the versatility of LeBron specifically being the pivot point where it all sort of brings it together. This has been such a fascinating year in that Darwin and the coaching staff have been presented with a bunch of different, very valid decisions that you could make a really good argument for uh, in a couple, but that are very different from each other. And so tonight's one of those nights where I'm I'm really curious to see what the starting lineup is and just what the lineup composition is in general. Really excited to see how it looks. We'll be back tomorrow to see uh, how it goes. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.